Welcome to Connect with Success with Dr. Lynette Scatiswatilla, where we help connect you with knowledge. Our mission is to lead you to a new and exciting way of understanding, responding to, and helping all those with autism. We hope to expand your thinking about how to best serve these amazing people and to support you in your daily struggles and celebrations. Welcome, everyone, to the ninth episode of Connect with Success, a podcast built around the success approach and the person who coined it, Dr. Lynette Scottiswatilla. And in this episode, we're going to take a moment to meet an amazing up-and-coming superstar in the world of autism. She's the heart and soul of Dr. Lynette, and I can't wait for you guys to meet her. But first, let's take a moment before we jump in to talk with Dr. Lynette and see what today's term for the episode is going to be. Well, I got to be honest, coming up with a term for this episode was kind of a challenge um, because it's just the girth of this episode is just so great. So I consulted with some of our autism productions team who's here in the studio and uh, we concurred that the word should be growth. And um, we liked the term growth for this episode because it encapsulates all that the success approach in its 25 years of existence has grown to become. Um, it has helped children grow. It has helped us grow as individuals and parents and teachers and professionals. And perhaps most importantly, we believe the success approach can help society grow in the way that it understands, assesses, educates, treats, and embraces individuals on the autism spectrum. Welcome back to our segment where we're going to get to meet our guest for today. I got to know her as a student, and it's so cool to be able to work with students on anything in life, but to this podcast in particular, um, I'm going to let you, Dr. Lynette, give you the opportunity to introduce her because... You know her better than anyone. I sure do. Um, and our guest today, our very special guest today, is Maria Watilla, my daughter. Maria, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. So uh, we know you, but why don't you give everyone who's listening a little idea of who you are and what you like to do? Okay. Um, as Dr. Scottie Watilla said, I am Maria, and I am 22 years old. I am in my fourth year of college. I just finished up my undergrad, and I have one more year till I get my master's in May of 2022, and I'm graduating with a master's in occupational therapy. That's awesome. I'm not that old. <laughs> There's no way that wait, I am that wait, old. Wait, excuse me. I'm not that old. Right. <laughs> Nobody here is that old. Anytime I see or catch up with a student and they tell me that what they're doing, I always say, and you know what's amazing? I haven't aged a bit. <laughs> it you is know. a phenomenon. I know. <laughs> so what do you like to do in your spare time, Maria? Um, I like to hang out with my friends. I'm blessed with a pretty large group of amazing people. Mm -hmm. um, it's my friends. So we hang out a lot and do fun stuff. I also am um, a fitness instructor, so exercising is very important to me. Um, and I also have a musical background, so I like to sing and dance, and I used to act a lot. I don't do that much anymore. But. She doesn't just like to sing, folks. She's amazing. If you've <laughs> never heard Maria singing, she's, uh, it's like angel dropped on earth, and <sighs> you can just hear it. And um, it, It's an amazing uh, experience. And I got to work with you on Beauty and the Beast, where she was Belle. Mm -hmm. Actually, both of us were. Yes. Yeah. Part we of that process. involved with that production, yeah. Back in eighth grade. Back in Way eighth back grade. when. <laughs> I still have braces. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about where you um, first started with the success approach. Yeah. Um, 
I am going to be honest. I don't know if there was an exact start time. I think <laughs> I was just kind of forced into it. Um, one of my very first memories was laying on my mom's chest. She was holding me during a meeting, and I thought it was cool because I could hear the vibrations of her talking through her chest. Mm. It was probably like two or three, but that mm. was a super salient memory I had because mm. um, it was kind of a cool sound. Um, so I think kind of since the day that I was born, I've been involved with a success approach. Um, once I was old enough, probably around four or five, I started coming in as a typical peer and actually working with the kids with autism, um, which was always super fun. And I loved all the toys here. It was like a <laughs> huge playground for me. And then when I was 15 and could legally work, I was brought on board as a transdisciplinary aide and has have been serving as that I do some more administrative stuff now like scheduling and um, kind of the behind the scenes work but yeah I don't think I've ever had a start or a stop time of being involved with the success <laughs> right. approach because we just were coming in the close out the 25th year the yes. anniversary of the success approach that's right July 24th that's, that's so our 25th crazy. anniversary yeah. so yeah you were literally part of the success approach when it was standing womb only <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep best of you in the house <laughs> wait that's where I gotta put that in there right so. so what was it like growing up with the success approach yeah um it's kind of hard to say what was the success approach and what was my mom because um, uh-huh. you know the success approach came from her so it's kind of hard to di- um, dif- divide those two apart Um, But something that I noticed at a very young age is the way that I learned things um, was a little bit different. Like I went to a friend's house when I was little and she was trying to learn math through flashcards. Um, And I learned math through my mom with her singing songs and dancing and counting and painting numbers and things like that. So Mm -hmm. it was a learning experience. So although I wasn't technically on a treatment plan, Mm -hmm. um, I was... On the success approach, the success approach was kind of prescribed to me in that way. Um, And also on the social pragmatic side of things as well, um, driving to preschool, we would (laughs) sing songs about what's your favorite color with other kids that I would carpool with in the car. (laughs) Or um, what do you like to do? Things like that to practice that social pragmatic stuff. And, you know, I was three or four. I didn't know what was going on. But once Hmm. I'm learning this stuff now in school, I'm looking back and I'm like, oh, that's what she was doing. Whether (laughs) she even noticed it or not, that's kind of what she was doing. Um, and then another thing, this is kind of a traumatic memory for me, low key. Oh no. Um, Oh, I love it. But I was only positively reinforced for positive behavior. So I, um, and we, there was never really punishments or anything like that. Um, I was never grounded, thank God. Um, (laughs) but what I mean by only positively reinforced for positive behavior, it's actually comes from psychology. It stems from psychology. And I remember being probably six and I wanted something. I don't remember what. And my mom said no. And I threw a temper tantrum. I was bawling. I was screaming. And I went behind the couch and I hid behind the couch, just blowing my head off, throwing the biggest temper tantrum ever. And I kept peeking out to look at her to see if she would come over and like (laughs) calm me down. She ignored me like I was not even in the room. She did not give me the time of day. I kept peeking out, like fake crying, like, ah, and she did not even look in my direction. So I stormed up to my room after probably about 10 minutes, and I was like, well, that's never going to work. <laughs> so, and I learned my lesson and probably never threw a temper tantrum again. So. Absolutely. And it's, it's so funny to hear that. I don't even remember that episode, mm-hmm. but I can tell you a lot of parents out there can absolutely remember when their child threw an, an ep- uh, uh, 
tantrum like that because it happens all the time. It's their MO. It's how they operate. Right. And it doesn't need to be that way. Right. That was going to be my next question. Like, do you remember that? No, absolutely not. I remember, (laughs) I remember for all of my children, for Paul, Dominic, Adam, and Maria, I remember always taking their perspective in life, always climbing in their shoes, literally. So if they were at eye level with something, it wasn't much for me to join them because that's what occupational therapists do. They join children and they help meaning happen by joining them. Um, But I remember enjoying that. It brought me to a place of, hey, if they're seeing it this way and I can see it with them, we are sharing a fun learning experience. And then I would very carefully make sure that what was supposed to be salient about that experience was what I commented on Mm. or what I made happen um, in that particular experience. And I remember then as the mommy, which I was always thinking about it from a mommy, but part of that was a clinical kind of thing. But the mommy and me would then look to my child to watch the wheels turn and like almost um, memorize or videotape what the salient thing was. And I'm like, yep, check, done. That's got in the brain. That's good. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it was a joy to be such a, um, it was empowering to me as a mom to be such a distinct catalyst in that understanding. That's amazing. So any other fun stories about growing up TSA? Um, That's how I'm going to categorize this, by the way, growing up TSA. I think older on in life, it's not really a story, but it's something that will always stick with me. That was obviously when I was younger. Um, but older in life, in my teen years, um, the number one message, and this might be more OT, occupational therapy, but it was always be balanced. You have to be balanced. If you're going to hang out with your friends one night, then you have to hang out with me one night and you have to stay home. You know what I mean? It was Mm -hmm. always about being balanced. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, you know, a lot of people my age don't have right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of people, you know, even older than me, never learned, never practiced, and so they don't know how to do it. And that's how I'm able to be involved in so many things and have so many different hobbies and so many groups of friends and things like that because I was been practicing being balanced since I, in my very young teens. So. Wow. All that balance. Go ahead. It reminds me of something that we used to have, Maria, if you remember. <clears throat> we used to have, um, in our kitchen, we used to have, like, house rules. Um, and they didn't last very long because they served its purpose and it, they didn't have to last. But one of the most important rules you might remember is you must do the beginning, middle, and end of everything. And so that is such an important message to human beings in general. And I need to take my own advice about that, by the way, (laughs) because there's plenty of times where I don't do all of those things. But for a child in their formative years, as they're forming schemas and understanding how to conduct themselves and behave and be a steward within their home or be a, uh, a helper in society, you must, must, must do all of an activity. So you can't just... Um, eat your food, you have to clean up when you're done. And if you make your food, <laughs> that's even better. If you make it, eat it, and then clean it up, or the portions of it that you're supposed to be cleaned up, cleaned up, you have that completeness of, mm. of a task. And that is how I raise my children, that they should be thinking in sets of three. Start, do, and complete. Great message. And how is that going for you? Good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm the one telling her to finish. So. Absolutely. <laughs> Such a truthful statement. <laughs> yeah. And the only other thing that is really memorable from growing up um, is just we had so much fun mm-hmm. all the time. <laughs> all of my friends that came over, it was always so fun. 
Um, <laughs> and that's because you're an OT, so you play. <laughs> I do. I play. I know it's a child's work, and play is easy. When you understand how children work, play becomes very easy. The other thing I want to say, and this comes from my son Paul quite a bit, my oldest son, he always tells me that his friends growing up would comment to him, not in front of us, but he would um, hear his friends constantly commenting about this, and the comment was, when do your parents fight? When, when do you guys fight in your household? And Paul's like, Boy, I, um, I, I don't know. I, I've never heard fighting. Like, Paul didn't even know how to answer the question. Um, and I, I think that, of course, there's disagreements. Disagreements and fighting are two different things. But the reason I think that some people, quote, unquote, fight it's because they don't communicate mm. well about their differences or they don't take the perspective of the other person. And that's just not how I raise my children. That's part of my faith. That's part of my formation as, a, in, in my case, a Roman Catholic, a devout Roman Catholic, um, very much governed by their faith. So, um, you know, <laughs> if I was talking to my daughter versus talking to Christ, my response would be the same. I'm going to stop and listen to their perspective. I'm going to own what they think too. And that kind of partnership is a beautiful way to, to live life, partnering with the people around you. And that's the foundation of the success approach is that perspective and, and finding the members of your, your transdisciplinary team to help meet the perspective of where that person is. That's right. And when you take the perspective, you, you, there's a sharing that happens. And it's easy to hold up what becomes an extension of yourself. Um, so holding up Maria and her goals in life and holding up her energies and her stamina and her time and her talents to live out the, the way her life is going and the way she wants her life to go, I'm an extension of that energy, an extension of that process, and vice versa. Um, you know, she's carrying on so many ideals and beliefs from our belief system as a family and the work she's doing and her formation into adulthood. So that partnership leads to joining and sort of mutual uh, mutual goals, but live through separate people, mm -hmm. so to speak. The greater good, serving the greater good is certainly part of what our family um, uh, uh, aspires to do. And that's not an accident. Again, that's rooted in my faith. Um, and I would say that Everyone has their own unique take on what it is to be part of the bigger picture or to um, do work for the greater good. Mine is very concretely grounded in Integrations Treatment Center, but you know my sons didn't choose healthcare, but they're very much trying to contribute to the greater good of their careers and yeah. um, help, whether it's architect or civil engineering or project management. They're all doing things to help society in their own way. Yeah, and it's more less about employment or career, more about vocation. That's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a good distinction. Very good distinction. Right. So um, speaking of Integrations Treatment Center, what was it like growing up at Integrations Treatment Center? So <laughs> you mentioned the, the play, right? Yeah. 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 Um, I was always here all the time, um, every summer, helping out. And like I said, serving as a typical peer. Um, and I think that every child should do that. I think yeah. every <laughs> child should have to do that, at least for one summer. Because the amount of understanding that I gained from working with these different kinds of people, um, my tolerance and my patience for people that don't talk the same way or don't look the same way, um, you know, my increased communication skills, my creativity, all of these things are because I was working with a huge spectrum of different kinds of kids and developing true friendships with them, mm. which is very unique, I think. And then another thing that I 
learned at a young age is not to compare myself to other people, which mm. is so mm. important now. And I, it's hard for a lot of people, especially nowadays with social media and all these things being kind of shoved into your face. But, you know, if you compare yourself to someone with autism, yeah, they might not have the same social skills that you have, but they are brilliant in a lot of other mm. ways and they have so all these true. hidden talents and special things mm. and it's hard when you go to you know school with people that look like you and talk like you it's easy to compare um but when I was forced out of that and was like coming here to volunteer at ITC it was much easier for me to see oh wow this person's my same age mm -hmm. and we're doing the same things in life mm -hmm. and they're really good at this and I'm not I'm not good at that but we're still friends mm -hmm. and and we both there's no reason to compare us mm. um especially into my preteen years when that was a lot more prevalent mm -hmm. um that age was appropriately. A, yes, <laughs> right. That was definitely a good lesson to learn at a young age. Beautiful. And I'm just inspired by the parallels here because you've had this integrations treatment center life and growing up and how that's made an impact on your future career choice, which we'll, we'll get here in just a minute for you. But just the fact that you and this whole idea of what integrations treatment center is today was mm -hmm. born out of your experience mm -hmm. with Katie. Yes. Ah, see, I remember the name. <laughs> yes, beautiful Katie. Yeah, absolutely. She was my inspiration for um, sort of understanding. And at the time, I didn't know that I was supposed to accept, but at least understanding that there was a disconnect between what kids with special needs, in this case autism, could do, could amount to, could aspire to be, um, and what they're supported to become. Um, and so all I knew when I was a little sixth grader myself <laughs> running around at Integrations Treatment Center campus, which wasn't ITC back then, but it's the campus of the Borromeo Seminary and Center for Pastoral Leadership. That's where Camp Happiness was, and that was part of the Catholic Charities programming then. So as a volunteer, you know, working with Katie and other children, it gave me the opportunity to embrace her and relate kind of like Maria was talking about like she's not quite a peer but I'm not all that older much older than her mm -hmm. I was a junior camp counselor in sixth grade and what was she like maybe third grade something like that um, and so by kind of embracing her and accepting her where she was and seeing her uh, how autism manifested in her it was okay because she was beautifully unique and free spirited and so gifted and like Maria said in so many ways but to know that she was here for a service. It wasn't just come and play, it was a service. And when she wasn't here in summer, she was being served somewhere else for a special needs program. My concern was, is it enough? Mm. This beautiful, free-spirited, wonderful child um, has so much to give, and is it enough to bring out um, really her God-given talents and the best version of herself that she could be? And, and I think back then, historically... 30 now, some years ago, if not 40, um, the answer was no. They didn't have a lot of resources then. They didn't know neurodevelopmental care. They didn't know transdisciplinary care. They didn't know the neurology of autism like we do today. And so the Katie's of the world um, were sort of disadvantaged just in the, the history of, of ed and special ed and, and healthcare. So I wanted to be part of the difference, and that's why ITC kind of came into into being, and why people like Maria, who were in my family, were along for the ride because mm -hmm. I was so called to it. And so, what was your final catalyst in saying this is something I want to do? Like it's it's not just how you grew up, but I mean now you've ch chosen to take on this vocation. 
Yeah, uh, I think I always knew. I wrote in kindergarten. It was like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said <laughs> occupational therapist. I did not spell it right, but, <laughs> but I did write it. Um, so I think I've always known. I thought about broadcast journalism because I do have a background in performing arts. So I thought about going down that road. Um, but then I thought about what am I going to come home from work every day and say, I've done something really good today and mm. I, I'm changing the world and I'm helping as many people as I can because I mean I've always been an empath an empath and you know mm. anyone can talk on a microphone in front of a crowd but not anyone can look at someone and really understand them and want to understand them and, and love them and care for them so mm. I think that's a little bit more of a special talent that I have than any other thing in my life. Now, you are kind of the future, then, as we start move, looking forward ahead of the next 25 years of the success approach, right? So um, how are you seeing this in your studies as something that's speaking to you as saying this needs to be out more, this needs to be um, top of mind, this holistic approach yeah. to um, service? Um, we're actually conducting a research study right now, um, and I think that there needs to be as much research as possible on this. Um, I think that's what's going to kind of really open people's eyes up because right now there's no answer. There's no, this is what you should do, you know, and that's causing parents to be frustrated and at a loss. And mm -hmm. oftentimes they go down the wrong path and then they get stuck there and their child could have been, could have progressed much more somewhere else. Mm. So I think that getting the research out there because people aren't going to listen to words anymore. People mm -hmm. want the facts and the truth and it's easy to find if you just Google it. So people, <laughs> I think really if we hit them over the head with the numbers and really prove it, um, that's what's going to be like most beneficial in our immediate future for getting the word out there. And I think, Maria, you're onto something really important. I will add that in the 25 years that Dr. Smith talked about the ITC entity being in existence, um, we have plenty of anecdotal information, plenty of our own internal facts, if you will, about we didn't have the success approach for this kid when they started. We gave it to them, and within eight weeks, five weeks, three days, whatever it is, we see changes. It's not an accident. My favorite thing that people know me to say at ITC, or it's not my favorite thing, but it's what I'm known for, is, and that's not an accident. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and it's not. When you're systematic and intentional about neuroscience and about neurodevelopment, and meet the child where they're at and <clears throat> develop their just right critical curriculum, it is elicited. We talk about the success approach acronym and that E being elicited. It's not an accident. It's facilitated to happen. Um, it's prompted to happen. And then it happens. <laughs> and then it stays, which is beautiful. A lot of our um, biggest concerns about some of the programs out there that we hear parents talk about is it's transient. Well, they were good for a while, but then it stopped. Or it, it seemed to help for a little bit, but then, I don't know, they lost the skill. And I'm like... <sighs> then it wasn't really a skill. It wasn't mm -hmm. really in there, you know? So that's a concern of mine. And so when we see these gains in these kids that we facilitate and predict and predict well, we want to capture that now in empirical data. Um, and so this is the whole point of trying to do more concrete research through Gannon University, um, where I got my doctorate and where Maria is in the master's level fast track program there, wonderful program, um, and other local and non-local universities that have demonstrated a recent interest in wanting to send their students here and or um, be part of research because they, they want to make a difference as well, particularly the programs and universities that have occupational therapy because we see the unique role that 
occupational therapy plays, in my biased opinion, as the profession who truly understands all the aspects of autism and how the success approach can address many of those aspects. So let's take a step back for a second because I think, um, I don't know if we actually did this in the first episode. Let's talk about the success approach for just a second. What does the acronym for the success approach mean? Okay, so it's actually a methodological sentence or a methodological belief. And the belief is that strategic use of critical curriculum elicits supported sense-making. And when um, I created my training program and now what Ellen does in rendering that information as our instructor, what we do to help people understand that is break it down in terms of the components of the acronym. So strategic use is just that, intentional employment of something, Mm -hmm. okay? Critical curriculum is the, the just right and only the just right methods that apply to a child um, and what they need to eventually have uh, understanding and sense-making. The E is elicits, and that's an important word because we're yielding, we're producing, we're prompting, we're the catalyst to the outcome, and the outcome is supported sense-making. So we're eliciting understanding. We're eliciting learning by what we strategically do by introducing the just right curriculum or critical curriculum. Um, And so another way to say that is by using the just right methods and only the just right methods, we're going to help the kid learn. And I think that goes back to what you've been saying in all the episodes, being intentional. Yes. That it's personalized for each individual and that Mm -hmm. um, the hope is that the team can build the supports necessary to make it ongoing. That's right. And it's not a one shoe fits all kind of thing. It's definitely not cookie cutter, that old saying of cookie cutter approach. It is so not. Um, I always say we're baking a pie, we're baking a cake, and those ingredients are just as unique as the cake. And mm-hmm. and parents get to decide with us, which is the beauty of the success approach, what parts or what ingredients are most helpful, are tolerable, are appreciated, are valued. Not all of them are. Um, And so we don't use some if they don't make sense to the family. And just a quick example, so no one's wondering what that means, is there may be a technique where we're doing some brushing of the skin and some pressure to the different parts of the body or whatever. Um, And there's a very specific part of that particular protocol that we call therapressure or sometimes known as Wilbarger protocol, brushing, um, where the parent has to or the person doing the technique should very carefully, very appropriately, and very systematically put pressure in the top of the head sort of straight down to give this calming input and I had a mom tell me I'm not I'm not comfortable pushing on my kid's head like okay well we'll cut that part out and instead they can wear a heavy hat for a minute or they can just skip that part or they can go upside down on a pillow or they can try to balance books or something like we okay we'll go around it not to sacrifice the benefits of the approach but to go around what wasn't comfortable so a tiny little example so that child's critical curriculum would be a modified version of the brushing protocol. And I think it's so important because you're, you're not only playing to the um, child's mm-hmm. comfort zone, but you're looking at the parent's comfort zone to helping them meet that 
that need. That's right. And so when Ellen teaches our class, she may see through the journal entries that a parent has a particular question or, or concern or doesn't agree with something or, or doesn't know enough to agree or disagree. So she can piece apart and individualize that response in the journal program or the journal system um, that puts that parent at ease or explains it better or individualizes to that child. And the program that for our training, um, what it allows is for parents to film themselves mm. with their child or to film them child with somebody else, whatever they want to do, um, so that they, Ellen can have that opportunity to see the child and give more meaningful feedback. Right. Now, and taking all of this in then, Maria, you're doing continued research on this. Where Are you finding current trends leaning more this way in general? or We're still in the very beginning stages, so we haven't actually seen any of the data yet. Um, so we'll be collecting and kind of crunching numbers a year from now, or a couple months from now in the fall. Nice. But can you speak to, and I'm curious about this too, um, can you speak to the literature? Is there, are there trends in the literature about autism? Are there trends in the literature about transdisciplinary care? Are there trends in the literature about any of our seven theories that together we know constitute the success approach but aren't often used together? They're kind of isolated or researched separately. Yeah, so basically what we found when we did our literature review, which was a very extensive um, research in all of the different databases and articles that's out there. Um, and what we found is there is contradicting evidence mm. for a lot of what's being done right now. Mm. And if there isn't contradictory evidence for things like sensory integration that are based in occupational therapy, mm -hmm. there's not enough evidence. Mm -hmm. So similar to the success approach, there's not necessarily contradicting information, but there's not enough of it because the people that would be researching it are busy doing it. Absolutely. So this could be a hole that the, the success approach fills. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I'm going to speak to that because so many people have said, well, why haven't you researched this? And I said, because I've been d busy developing it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, it's the people who say that vary from parents to, you know, grant writers that are looking for more oomph to help us get funds raising because we all fundraise who are looking for more oomph in their written information about us because they're looking for funding. Um, and I'm sure it's out there. I know it's out there, but it might be very specific to a certain kind of intervention because even grant funders only know what they know too. You mm -hmm. can only know what you know. And so we're trying to empower the people who are willing and able to um, support financially entities like the success approach and new models like the success approach um, by telling them why we're different, how we're different. And the rate of progress, I mean, Maria, I don't know, you've been in the trenches so long, it might be second nature to you at this point in your perspective. Um, but one of the things that new staff tells me when they come on board and new families is, I cannot believe a, that this kid can do this. This is often the parents saying, I can't believe my kid could can do this, and that they're doing it. And how fast it developed, how fast the skill developed. Didn't know they were going to, quote, unquote, pee on the potty, but the fact they did it in three days, unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Or I didn't think that they'd be able to say mom, but the fact that they did it in three weeks, unbelievable. Like, this is common discussion, common comments that we hear at ITC. So is that a perspective you can share as well? Or do yeah, you also it's, it's really, I mean, that happens to me every time that I come back for Christmas and summer break. Mm -hmm. um, and the cool thing for me is it's not just when they first start. It's seeing kids that have been here for, been here for four or five years or however mm -hmm. long they have. And I come back one summer and they're talking all of a sudden when they were nonverbal their entire life up until 10 years old. So it's, it's really amazing yeah. to not only see the 
um, large amount of progress and growth, but also to see that it's quick, but it's also never changing. Or it's mm. the only thing that is changing is that they continue to prog- progress. Mm. Um, like one, for example, one summer I went away to, to go to school and then I came back that December and a girl who probably spoke maybe a hundred words was talking like a typical <laughs> six-year-old girl. And you, you wouldn't even recognize her. It was like a totally different child. And I want to speak to that because you just had an example of a child who was here four or five years and that they're now age 10 and they're talking and you've seen the evolution of that. And then this little one you're talking about who is relatively fast in a number of months. The difference, because if I'm a parent listening to this, I'm like, why did one progress and one didn't? And I've got to tell you as the clinician, the neurology and the, the, um, the child's constitution, like what they're made of, how their brain is wired, their environment, um, how early they did or didn't get services, what kind of services, all the, the nutrition, their overall health, um, the, the number they are in the family. <laughs> are they the only child or one of seven? All these things influence the rate of progress and their God-given potential is elicited at different rates. So the child who needed four or five years to find his voice was probably neurologically very, very involved and had huge holes in their development that took not just a little foundation, but the pouring of some new cement, which can take years and years and years. And those children always we approach with the capacity, the hope and the capacity, and really the belief that they're going to talk, walk, pee on the potty, eat, whatever their, their parents call most concerned about them not doing. So we always expect they're going to live out their best version of their talking self or their walking self or whatever that is. And we set in, into motion a plan of action to get there. Some take longer than others based on the holes. So in the second analogy, Maria, you talked about a little girl coming back talking in full sentences. She probably had less holes, but what probably happened for her, she was finally in the right environment where we still filled the little holes, the little patchwork, but we flooded her with the just right challenge every day, the just right environment every day where she could rise to the occasion and develop these skills and master them in a very short time. Neither child um, is better or worse than the other. Every child is individual and every case is individual, but what doesn't vary is our ability to quickly identify as a team what they need and to deliver it and then sort of like mother nature kicks in and their pace evolves from there so having taken all of this where do you see the success approach in the future um that's a really good question i hope especially learning all of the occupational therapy courses and things like that i hope and pray that eventually every future occupational therapist and eventually special education teacher and speech language pathologist. Um, I hope that everybody learns it and everybody is certified in the success approach and everybody takes the online course or whatever medium or platform it will be at that time. Um, I think that is going to be the way that we see the most change is when everybody is doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think learning about it and actually becoming certified in it is going to be the best way to do that. So that's where I see it in the future. And I think then people will not be so frustrated because it will be like, well, how do you treat autism? Oh yeah. The success approach. It's mm-hmm. as simple as that is as long as the world moves in that direction. Wow. And what I want to say that kind of is a quick synopsis of that very hope and prayer that I heard you kind of suggest you're going to hang on to um, is a shift in the paradigm. This work 
and our model that we are contributing to and, and developing and refining over time really can result in a paradigm for how we understand, assess, educate, and treat children on the spectrum, and adults for that matter. You just never know how much of an impact the center has. Mm. You know, obviously you've grown up with it, you've created this whole thing to look at the child per se, but I will tell you that from my perspective, Madison has been here since she was three, mm -hmm. right? And so... On know, and off, on and for off, sure. Right? Yes. And then and she came here full-time in the fifth grade. Right. And I just, uh, I, I just got to say right now, as, as a testimonial, how amazing it's been to see Maddie make that transition because of the loving staff and the transdisciplinary care offered here at mm -hmm. ITC. And you don't even realize it even outside. Mm -hmm. So we start out here, and we're working with Ellen, and we're working with you and, and Lynette and, and all the great staff here. But you've got to know that even the stuff that you do outside makes an impact on those on those students. So like Madison, for example, is always, she came out of the womb singing I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm convinced um, <laughs> and then you know dance became part of her um, mm -hmm. therapy plan yes you know, to it help did. with the gross motor yes, and it did. she really took to that but it wasn't until she saw you on stage in Beauty and the Beast and then again in Fiddler on the Roof where she decided <laughs> that she's going to go to Lake Catholic first of all that, uh, was, that was became her goal yes and that she wants to do performing arts yes. as a career choice and yeah. so to see all that come into fruition just because you are who you are and what you're studying and carrying on this this mission of the mm -hmm. success approach you've got to know that that's uh, made a huge impact on our lives so thank <laughs> you Maria of course Aww. it's a it's an honor isn't it to be part of a journey such as Maddie's and uh, it hasn't been a smooth path always, mm -mm. Um, but it's been a, a path that's become more clear with the partnership of mom and dad, which is unique, and the partnership of other people in their lives that have supported them, special teachers or our own staff that have gone above and beyond. Um, and it's fun for us because loving these kids the way we do, they're an extension of us and it's a big family. Marie and I will go to see Maddie in a play and perform, yes, yes. not just because we're friends, but because we do that for all of our kids. You know, it's a really, it's a blessing when parents involve us in their child's life to that um, extent. And it's, it's bittersweet for me because one of the first things I tell a family and out there listeners, if you are a new family and you've come to me, I will tell you, <clears throat> you can say that you've heard me say this if you've been here. I don't know your child. This is usually what I say in the phone calls. Um, but I'm sure I will come to love them. But in so doing, that's going to be, uh, that's going to sound like I want to not have them in my life for long because that means that they'll need me <laughs> if they're here. And so I love your child. And I want them to be the best they can be. And maybe in the future, I'll be dancing at their wedding. And that's how we'll be involved. But they right. shouldn't have to be here for as long as some parents think they need to be getting special help if you use a neurodevelopmental model. And specifically, the success approach designed specifically for kids on the spectrum who can and do learn naturally and normally as long as they're given a neurodevelopmental opportunity to do so. Amen. Well, Maria, we wish you nothing but success in the future, and I really hope that I'm around long enough to see it. <laughs> and um, I second that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but thanks for being with us today and taking some time out just to talk to our audience about how powerful the success approach has been through you as a generational um, participant. Yeah. Yeah, so take care, and uh, we'll be right back with the next challenge. So today, listeners, I'd like the challenge for you to be this. Please take a moment to reflect on who has facilitated growth 
in your life or your child's life and take a moment to thank them. What an amazing review of what the success approach is and the powerful impact it's had on our children and our families. I love that Maria said about, I love what Maria said about what her hope for TSA would be coming in the future is that it becomes a part of life, not just to supplement it. Um, a beautiful portrait of hope and growth as we start thinking about the next 25 years of the success approach. And I'll tell you that as a teacher, one of the things that's most important to me is that my students walk away. Facts and figures are one thing and being able to do things is another, but having that growth mindset, just being able to propel yourself forward. Mm -hmm. Growth supports momentum to move up and forward. Uh, so it's been such an amazing opportunity as a teacher to get an update on one of my one of my favorite students' paths in life and how that journey is leading her to her vocation. Um, what was it like having, you had to have had a proud mom moment this episode. Oh my goodness, here's the real truth. I have proud mom moments every single day for all of my amazing four children. But in a special way, Maria is uh, very quick to elicit a sense of pride in me because she is the complete package. She was born that way. A lot of people think it was, you know, more uh, <sighs> nurture than nature. Um, and it really wasn't, I can tell you. Uh, being um, the therapist that I am, I can see in other people's, their skill sets is kind of what I do for a living. Um, and I saw in her at a very young age that she has what it takes the fact that she has chosen to use that part of herself to contribute to the vocation that I have chose is what chokes me up because she could do anything. Mm -hmm. The girl could do anything. And um, I'm just honored that she's part of our amazing field. And I know Ellen feels the same way. Many therapists feel the same way. It's like we're getting a diamond right? <laughs> in our side. It's great. <laughs> And a double diamond. I mean, coming from you, who has created this amazing <laughs> approach, and, and just being able to bring somebody who's going to help bring it life in the next 25 mm -hmm. years, it's just an, an amazing opportunity. So mm -hmm. what, uh, what else should our listeners take away from this episode today? Well, I think Maria kind of highlighted some of this in her conversation with us, but um, I'd like to think that the takeaways are that the success approach can be, um, is for many, and should be a way of life. It's not just an intervention model. I also think we need to acknowledge that in our particular country, we really need to do a better job of understanding that learning and development can be supported by fun and enjoyable activities. It's not about pushing a pencil. And I think we can come to understand that if we first take the perspective of the child and ground absolutely everything we do in a neurodevelopmental approach, the other takeaway is that the success approach as a lifestyle choice can be paradigm shifting in the field of education, healthcare, mental health, and in our overall quality of life. We hope that you learned something today to help you on your journey with autism. We'll share more on our next Connect with Success podcast. Until then, expect success. The Success Approach is a registered service mark protected under intellectual property law. Unless otherwise specified, all music, audiovisual, and proprietary content shared in this podcast is property of Autism Productions, LLC, and its sister agency, Integrations Treatment Center. The use of this content is unlawful without the expressed written consent of aforementioned agency. 
more information about The Success Approach, please go to our website at www.thesuccessapproach.org.